Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, coming off another Tennessee baseball sweep, this time of the Florida Gators. Eric Kane, my good friend, how are you? Doing well, man. Uh, a little bit more rested than I bet you are at this point in time. Fantastic coverage down there from Gainesville, man. You did an awesome job, but Tennessee baseball just continues to shock absolutely no one. What a weekend, right? Right, and uh, I appreciate the kind words, but shout out to Tennessee baseball for making it easy to cover and and fun to cover. E- easy to have good coverage when the team is fun, when the team is good, and this this season when the team is an all time team. This this is just an incredible season, <laughs> and and we're just over halfway through. There's so much left to be played for. There's still four more weekends. We've still got Hoover, still have the NCAA tournament. Tennessee is going to host a regional yet again. Hopefully that turns into them hosting a super regional. Hopefully that turns into them going to Omaha and winning a national championship. So 17-1 and one in conference play now, Eric. Just another accolade that they can add to the long list. Greatest start to SEC play ever. No team has ever started 17 and one. No team has ever started 17 and one. No team has swept uh, Florida in Gainesville in 16 years from the SEC. Tennessee had done it since 01, only the third time ever. A new program record for eight series sweeps in a season. I mean, again, it's every single weekend, man. Just, you know, Bach, check, 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 check every single weekend. And that's when you know that this is kind of one of those times you'll look back on like we do the 1819 Tennessee men's basketball team saying that was so much fun watching that team, the run it went on, the personalities, how good they were. I have a feeling that in a couple of years, we're going to look back at this Tennessee baseball team and just, you know, with, with fond memories. And, and hopefully it'll be even better with, with some postseason success. So they're rolling right now, though. That's for sure. They are definitely rolling. And I would ask you this. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but I did see this question floated out on Monday. It was actually, I'll give credit to Buck Rising, uh, 104.5 The Zone there in Nashville. Saw his Twitter poll for his show, one of his Twitter polls for his show. Is it national championship or bust? And that's, shockingly, it's been on my mind all day since I I saw that. So shout out to Buck for having a good question and and getting my mind going all day. But I I think it is, Eric. And I, I hate that it is. And if if Tennessee, I don't think it's that cut or dry. I, I really don't. Um, ultimately, right now, my answer is yes. But like if if Tennessee goes to the championship series in Omaha, they split with a team. They're playing on that Monday, the final game of the season. Winner wins the national championship, that game three of the championship series. And if they lose a close baseball game, five to four, I'm not going to call it a bust. If they go to Omaha and and they do have some success in Omaha but just can't get the title, I'm not going to call that a failure of a season. Um, but with the way that this thing has started out, it, it is it does kind of feel like national championship or, or bust uh, just to generically answer that question. Well, first of all, shouts to Buck Rising for coming up with an awesome radio topic. He's not been doing radio for long, but he's I'm, I'm a big fan of his work. He does he does some really, really good work. And of course, he has for a while with with A to Z. 
that is something where you spark conversation. We've done that on the morning show a couple of times this baseball season, and it's a great topic. And I've done it on Locked On Balls as well because with the way this team is being supported right now, the way this team, then I know, I don't know if you saw the odds last week. I have to check them right now. Overwhelming, overwhelming uh, favorites to win the College World Series. I'm talking like they were like, they were like plus 385. And I want to say the next one was like plus 1100. Like it was that much overwhelming. You don't want to be in that position. I get, I get that. But the way this team has momentum, the way this team has got so much fan support and to be completely frank, a lot of fans will still treat this just like they do in basketball, like a football season. Every loss matters and it's the end of the world. So if this Tennessee team doesn't win at all, there's going to be disappointment, but it should absolutely not be, in my opinion, a bust. If you don't get to Omaha, it's a bust in my opinion. I will say that. If you don't win at all, it's not a bust. You can be a great team. It's just when you get to Omaha, anything can happen, right? It's like when you get to, you know, when you get in the dance, when you get to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, anything can happen, right? It's just, it's tough to win. It's tough to win it all in, in tournament sports kind of like this. And so um, I'll say no, it's not a bust. It'll be a disappointment for sure. Uh, but what a great conversation to have. And it's because Tennessee is so good right now. But I guess to answer your question, if they fail to reach Omaha, I'll say it's a bust. They need to be back in Omaha. But if they don't win it, if they come up short, they need to win some games. And we spoke on this before. But if they don't win at all, I mean, I'm not going to call it a busted season for sure because they did so many good things. Yeah, I, I know. I just said, yes, I think it would be. But I, I do more so agree with you. I, I would take it one small step forward or, or past you, just just small step and say that they've got to win a game in Omaha. You can't go back yep. to back years without winning a game. I mean, it, I agree. If you don't make it to Omaha, that that is a big failure with how this team turned out. The, this team far exceeded my expectations, my my general thought coming into the year because there were so many question marks and unknowns with, with how much you lost last season was that they're an NCAA tournament team at minimum. They're going to compete to be one of the best teams in the SEC. We'll see how far they go. That that was my thinking coming into the year, and it turns out that yo Tennessee's the best team of the country, and they 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 do need something to show for that when it when it is all said and done. I, I do believe that you got to find a way to win a game in Omaha. You have to. Last last year is all nice and cute that that you got to the dance. Now now you got to get to the dance and and pick up a girl while you're there. I would agree. You, you gotta. I mean, you're, you're, you're the baddest dude at the prom, right? I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta find a way to win some games. And so, I mean, anything can happen, but Tennessee is positioned well for, uh, for that stage. You gotta get there. understand that long way to go, but, um, even, you know, starting pitching is positioned well, the bullpen has been lights out this lineup. I mean, you know, Christian Moore, for goodness sakes, is a true freshman, right? And what he did on Sunday, and I know we'll get to that's just, Incredible, but you've seen stuff like that from other true freshmen, obviously in the rotation and, and in the lineup and some redshirt freshmen. I mean, there's not an easy out in this lineup whatsoever. So, um, you know, we'll see. You got to win a game. I think that would be a disappointment, but I'm never I, like I'm never a guy that's going to say, OK, well, it's like I will say this last year with Georgia football. I said, if not this year, then when? And, I, you know, some people make the argument, well, if it's not this year, then it could be next year. Like, no, like. All the stars align 100% for Georgia. That defense was generational. Um, you know, the only weakness really was was quarterback, and it, and he wasn't horrible. And so I made that that sweeping declaration about Georgia football last year, and they went ahead and won the whole thing. 
but I'm usually never a guy that's going to say like, oh, you got to win this or a bust because I just know how hard it is. But Tennessee's better than anybody else in the country, and it's by a, lar- a large margin. So I'm excited to see them get back to that level and see what happens. Let's start with Sunday's theatrics that, that you just mentioned. Tennessee wins 8-2 on Friday night, 3 to nothing on Saturday night, and then they come back and they win in 11 innings on Sunday, 6-4. to four. Uh, We, we got to talk about Chase Burns bouncing back on Friday. Got to talk about Blake Tidwell being Blake Tidwell in his first SEC start, but we got to start with Sunday's game. What a baseball game. It didn't look like it was going to be a great baseball game. Tennessee no hit for seven innings. Freshman Brandon Neely was dealing his third career start. Tennessee literally could not get a hit off of him. Uh, Looked silly for most of the afternoon. And uh, the way I have summarized it, Eric, is that it was an odd feeling on Sunday because with this baseball team, you never feel like they're going to lose until they actually lose. But it did absolutely feel like they were going to lose while they were being no hit. And I realize that that's easy to say, oh, teams being no hit. Of course, it feels like they're going to lose. But even for this Tennessee baseball team that it kind of felt like, all right, they, they'll, they'll make something happen uh, at some point to, to pull it out. But, I mean, it just kept getting deeper and deeper into the game without them doing anything. And there in that seventh inning, they had up Jordan Beck, Drew Gilbert, and Trey Lipscomb. And my thought in my head was they're either going to get a hit here and come back, or they're not going to get a hit here, and they're going to get no hit. That, that was my thinking going into the inning. And Jordan Beck, I think he, he had a great at bat, fouled a bunch of pitches off, but popped up the first base and fouled territory. And then Drew Gilbert steps to the plate, and absolutely hits a piss missile off of the right center field wall for a triple that was about five feet short of being a home run. I mean, an an absolute pisser. I I mean, he crushed the ball, 106 off the bat. And from that moment on, it, it was just like a collective sigh of relief. And that's what Tony Vitello told me after the game that the feeling was in the dugout that everybody was tense and, and trying to do too much to get that first hit. Yeah. Drew gets the job done. Of course it's Drew Gilbert. And it, it was just a sigh of relief. And so, although it had felt like Tennessee was going to lose that, that game to that point for obvious reasons, even going into the ninth inning, they they're down three. It, it still did not feel like they were going to lose. Maybe I'm just being crazy, but even when it was four to one going into the top of the ninth inning, Eric, I don't know about you, but I did not have the feeling that they were going to lose that game. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I certainly had the feeling they were going to lose it at points in times, like you mentioned, because I mean, it's just so weird. You're, you're so tense. You're, you're trying to figure out how to get, uh, you know, off the snide, get your first hit. You picked up a first hit and that's great and everything. It's just, I, I started to really, you know, feel good uh, about Tennessee in the ninth, obviously, when Jarrell Ortega, you know, let off of that home run. He started the rally, I, I guess, was in the – he got on in the seventh, right, Ortega? Ortega, well, he let off no, the no, no, the no, no, no. The, with the homer. Yeah, yeah. And then in the, you're think, what you're thinking of is then he leads off the ninth with a solo homer. That was also yeah. a piss missile, by the way. And, and, and then really it was 11th. No, and then in the tenth, he comes up in, and leads off – uh, with a walk because Tennessee, because they came back, they had 
uh, all, all nine hitters got a plate appearance in the top of the ninth. So he comes back, leads off the tenth after leading off the ninth, and he and he had let off the tenth with a walk. Tennessee just was unable to bring him in. I got you, but yeah, once Tennessee you know brought it to a tie, obviously, then I was like, okay. Yeah, Tennessee's going to win this game. Ain't no way they're going to fall in extras, right? Ain't no way that they're going to lose this after after coming back and, and playing three in the ninth to tie this thing up. So that's when my focus shifts to, all right, they're going to win this. Just how are they going to win this? And ultimately, you know, it took two more innings in the 11th. And, of course, we saw more and then an awesome catch. Uh, but for much of the day on Sunday, it's just kind of like, all right, well, we expected this. Tennessee's going to, you know, take two, win the series. That's fine. Get ahead. Goodness gracious, you're too good of a team. You never want to be no hit, obviously. Um you know, Drew Beam had his first little you know mishap of the season, which is okay. You know, we'll see how he bounces back, which I'm sure he will just fine. Uh, but not until they tied it up, at least for me. You know, once they tied it up, I was like, all right, there's no way Tennessee's going to lose it from here on out, right? <laughs> that that's that's probably more realistic and fair than than what I am saying. I, yeah. I guess I should say that I felt like Tennessee was going to win when Jarrell Ortega hit his home run. That that's when I was like, oh, okay, see, I this, didn't. Th- I this didn't. is getting so, like, good for you. Yeah, yeah, I I just that Florida bullpen it spirals out of control and, and the momentum had had shifted and Tennessee took advantage. I want to highlight Jarrell Ortega. What a weekend for him! Didn't necessarily have the impact at the plate. He, he did have a good weekend at the plate, but I'm highlighting his his defense on top of the solo home run that he hit in the ninth. He put on. A, a defensive clinic on Saturday night. Made the diving catch up the middle uh, to help Blake Tidwell have a 1-2-3 inning. In that same inning, after he had the diving catch for the first out, he comes back on the third out. Florida hits a, a hard-hit ball right at him that he does a great job of just getting a glove on it, keeping it in front of him, and he fires it over there to first. And he just made so many great defensive plays all weekend long. And that particular inning... Who knows what happens if that ball gets up the middle to lead off the inning? Who knows if if Blake Tidwell is able to, you know, crawl out of that situation or not? Uh, Blake Tidwell looked good, so you would assume so, but you just never know. So so Jarrell leaving it all on the field and, and helping him out was really cool. Really cool to see his family in attendance. We talked about this on the preview pod, uh, him being from Puerto Rico and playing high school ball in Florida. Uh, there, there was a strong Jarrell Ortega contingent <laughs> in attendance, and it was really cool. There, there were definitely 20 to 30 of them. Every time he made a play in the field, every time he came up to to hit, they announced his name. They went crazy. They had a Puerto Rican flag that they were waving, a big one too, that uh, two of his family members were waving around. Uh, after the games on the berm there at Florida Ballpark, after the game that it was just like a family reunion out there that that was really cool but uh, Ortega really helped spark Tennessee in that ninth inning and then it it just kind of opened the floodgates and and set up the scene for Christian Moore to have the the game tying two-run single there in the top of the ninth but there were some things that are going to be forgotten um Trey, Trey Lipscomb he bloops a single into right field Luke Lipsius, he walks. And then the the one that I think will really be forgotten is the Evan Russell single on a 2-2 count. He he hits a single into left field to load the bases. And then here comes Christian Moore. And I thought it was really cool what Christian Moore had to say about why he was able to be successful in that moment. He told me when I asked him that in his previous at-bat against Purnell, 
he busted him in with a fastball and he was late. So he was expecting Florida to try and bust him in on the fastball again. And this had bat. So he needed to get his foot down earlier, needed to get his timing down and just make sure he was ready to turn on that fastball. And what do you know? He was able to turn on the fastball, tie the game up. And then in the 11th inning, steps back up to the plate as if what he did in the ninth inning wasn't good enough. And after Evan Russell singles again, Evan Russell really good on, on Sunday at the plate. Two hits in the ninth and 11th inning to, to set up Christian Moore. Christian Moore just hit an absolute bomb uh, to left center field that proved to be the game winner. And you're starting to see why they were so excited. We've seen it all season, but just further evidence of why they were so excited to get him on campus. Yeah, I mean, he he, he was incredible. You've got six runs in the ball game. You drive in four of those, a two-run bases clearing single, or I guess a two-run single, not bases clearing, um, in the ninth, and then a two-run shot in the 11th that proves to be the game winner. Um, I just, I mean, true freshman, right? I mean, what can you say? Like, we talked about clutch genes, you know, this morning on the, uh, on the radio show, and it's just obviously there's talent there. Don't get me wrong. There's so much talent. That's why he's going to be in the lineup, but – I mean, you're starting to see some of these guys come into the clutch, and it's it's just huge. And Christian Moore did that this weekend on Sunday. And his presence, knowing what to be looking for, knowing what they did to him in his last at bat, um, you know, th- those are veteran moves. And uh, I mean, it was just it was awesome watching him play uh, on, on Sunday. And I mean, you know, and as you pointed out, credit credit the whole lineup for you know, getting on base, moving themselves over, you know, putting themselves in position to win it for you know somebody to come up and hit him in. That was that was obviously Christian Moore on Sunday. Yeah, and I've kind of repeated this comment a couple of times already, but I I think it is important to emphasize Christian Moore, (laughs) what he did was phenomenal, led to him winning SEC Freshman of the Year. He he gets all the attention, and rightfully so, but don't forget about Drew Gilbert's triple in the seventh that allowed the team to let out a sigh of relief, and then he scored – uh, when Trey Lipscomb stepped up to the plate next and hit an RBI ground out up the middle, that that got Tennessee going. That got Tennessee on the board. It eliminated the no-hitter, eliminated the shutout. Uh, so let's not forget about that hit. And then also Jarrell Ortega. Let, let's not forget about Jarrell Ortega's solo homer that got them going there in the ninth. So uh, really the only other notable thing, Eric, was the, the pitching in that particular game. Drew Beam. Uh, didn't really look like Drew Beam struggled with his command, but uh, he did battle into the fifth inning, and I, I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, and then after Drew Beam, you have Will Mabry, uh, Mark McLaughlin come in and calm the storm and, and allow Tennessee's offense to get going. Both of those guys were were really, really good. And then Redmond Walsh just continues to be phenomenal in clutch game situations. And Brent Hubbs made this point on our Around the Horn, and I think it's so true. It's like he likes pitching with runners on base. It, it is the wildest thing. He he hit a batter to leave off, lead off an inning, and then there's another one where uh, he, he walked or, or gave him a He walked hit. three and three, yeah. Yeah, so – but then, I mean, just – I don't think people realize how difficult it is in the, the bottom of the, the ninth – in the swamp, on the road, anywhere in the SEC, runner on third, winning run on third, less than two outs, and he works out of it. It's just amazing what Redmond Walsh has become and and how just solid how how solid of a presence he, he is there in the back of the bullpen. He he just 
he's always clutch, always. And it's like he likes pitching with runners on base more than he <laughs> likes pitching with runners not on base. I mean, that shows you what a true reliever really is, right? I mean, your value is can you come on with with runners in scoring position and work yourself out of a jam? And he's done that repeatedly. I mean, the thing I like about him, and this is nothing new. I mean, we've seen it, but he can come in and get you one out in a big spot. He can come in and get you out of a jam in the inning. He can come in and pitch you three innings, which is what he did on Sunday. He is so versatile, right? And, I mean, really, he's kind of a Swiss Army knife when you think about his versatility and what you can use him for. So, I, you know, it, it takes stones to be in those situations with, you know, men on, as you pointed out, game-winning run 90 feet away and, and, and to work himself out of it on the road on a Sunday game in SEC play, and he did it. Um, and so I would, I would agree with Brent. I think that he likes pitching, you know, with, you know, w- with, with that heat on him. And some guys thrive in that area. Uh, again, it just kind of goes back to this clutch G, and you're seeing it more and more from more players on the Tennessee baseball team as the year goes on. Of course, you know, it took a while to hit some true adversity. And we've talked about this numerous times, you know, what they did, you know, falling into Texas and Minute Park, how they responded in the first inning against Baylor, and then how they responded the rest of the weekend from there, and how they battled with Missouri, a team that, you know, pushed them to the limits every single game in that that three-game set in SEC play a couple weeks ago. The way they battled, you know, last weekend against Alabama, how they responded with the injuries. Tennessee's responding well. Well, right. Tennessee's, you know, talking the crap, backing it up on the field and responding from the adversity it's faced, you know, so far, you know, very, very well. And, and this weekend was no different. So it's just really impressive. I, I thought the bullpen on Sunday was awesome. And maybe McLaughlin and Walsh, you know, combined to to give up one unearned run, you know, pitching the final seven innings of 11 in an affair and you know, striking out five and, you know, Walsh walked three. But all three of those guys looked really, really good and picked up Drew Beam, who did not have a Drew Beam like start for the first time this year. Uh, but Chase Burns did look like Chase Burns. Yeah, that's once good. again on yeah, Friday night. Yes, that that was a a good sign. Chase Burns starts on Friday night, and the score was eight to two, Eric. But the game was pretty boring outside of the, the second. Yeah, one inning. Yeah, one inning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, just one inning. Uh, what those Florida announcers would would tell you. Never mind the fact that you also have to pitch and play defense. Ne- never mind that facet of the game but the the second half of that game it really was boring uh not not a whole lot going on all the fireworks if if you want to call it that took place early in the game uh Tennessee scores seven runs in the second inning seven of their eight runs in that second inning uh Luke Lipsius led off the inning with a walk Evan Russell hit a double down the left field line that was a hundred miles per hour off the bat just absolutely smoked it Christian Moore getting in on the action early in the weekend had an RBI single. Cortland Lawson then had an RBI single right after Moore that the Florida right fielder Sterling Thompson misplayed out in right field, let it get past him. Uh, that allowed two runs to score on the Lawson single. Lawson advances all the way to third. Uh, you had Jarrell Ortega get hit by a pitch uh, in that inning. And then after that, with runners on the corners, Jordan Beck, he hit an RBI single. And with Ortega on third, with Beck on first, Trey Lipscomb steps to the plate and just crushes, absolutely crushes a three-run homer. And, and it wasn't as much the case on Sunday, but on Friday and Saturday, the wind was blowing in like crazy, a- absolutely crazy. Uh, it, it was really hard to hit a homer out to, to right field or even to center field. Uh, if you were going to get one out, it was going to be because you hit it down the left field line. And, and that's what Trey Lipscomb did. But his home run was more of a line drive home run that had 
no bearing on what the wind was doing. It, it didn't matter what the wind was doing. The ball that Trey Lipscomb hit was going to go right through that wind and do whatever it wanted, and it landed on the berm out there. So Tennessee puts up a seven spot in the first inning. That That's pretty much what the offense did. Its other run came on a sack fly from Cortland Lawson in the fifth inning. So Tennessee's offense does big things in the second inning. But again, the story, as we have mentioned a couple of times, was Chase Burns bouncing back, had two poor outings against Missouri and Alabama the last two weekends. And then he goes down to Florida and he picks up his seventh win of the season, pitches into the seventh inning. He did have three walks, but was able to uh, work out of those jams when he did give up the walks, uh, only gave up one earned run over those 6.1 innings, gave up two hits and struck out five on 98 pitches. He looked really, really good, Eric. 61 RBI on the season for Trey Lipscomb. That is just that, – that's magnificent, right? But you're right. He, I mean, of course, Lipscomb had the big – they drove in a run on Sunday, but had the big uh, game one with that three-run bomb. Chase Burns, I mean, it's so it's so relieving, I guess, is, is the right word. We were asking the Monday Night Chat last week, um, you know, when's when do you start worrying? And I think you and I both said, you know, if he, does, if he doesn't pitch well against Florida, that's three straight weeks. Like, it's like, yeah, okay, that the, the worry meter, not panic maybe, but you're starting to worry about it a little bit. And, you know, especially with the injury to, to Dullander and, you know, not knowing what Blade Tidwell would look like back in this role for the first time out. That was huge. I think it, I think it, you know, you know, I had a lot of Tennessee fans breathing a sigh of relief, if, if you will. So, you know, getting him back on track. Yeah, he walked too many guys, but that's okay. Pitching into the seventh inning looked good. Five strikeouts. Um, what, you know, two runs only was earned. He looked great. And and getting your ace, you know, back to back to pitching the way he needs to, especially with some question marks moving forward, that was big. So that was the biggest takeaway. Sure, seven runs in one inning was awesome, but seeing Chase Burns getting back to doing Chase Burns thing things that 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 made I think everybody feel better about the weekend moving forward and when I talked to Chase after the game and the story up on VolQuest if if you go back to Friday uh that I wrote after the game on Chase Burns he he said it was just a mentality thing and that he was trying to to do too much and and he was not and not even really trying to do too much he was trying to do too much as a result of putting too much pressure on himself and he he told me that he needed to just remind himself that he's 19 years old and he's pitching in the SEC. It's okay to make adjustments. It's okay to have a, a misstep here or there. You're 19 years old pitching on Friday night in the SEC. You know, cut yourself some slack. What was pretty much uh, what he told me that he had to to tell himself. And he said that he talks to his mom and dad a lot about that. Frank Anderson, uh, Chase told me that Frank Anderson helped him a lot. Josh Elander, after the game, told me that uh, Frank Anderson helped him a lot as well going into that series, just mentally. Of course, there were fundamental and, and technique things that they worked on, but the big thing that they they addressed was just mentally being, a good, being in a good spot going into that outing. I thought it was interesting. You and I had talked about the velo. A lot of people had talked about the velo um, <laughs> with, with Chase Burns being down a little bit and Josh Elander made the comment to me that, yeah, it was nice to see his velo back up and, and looking good. But Chase Burns <laughs> told me that, well, you know, I, I think the, the stadium radar gun at Lindsey Nelson was, was maybe down a little bit. So uh, Chase Burns 
and not thinking that the the velo was down at all, which is it's fine. I mean, and, and who knows how accurate the Lindsey Nelson uh, stadium radar gun is. My point is that Chase Burns was not concerned about the velo, and that is a good thing. And again, I'll say uh, I said it on Around the Horn Friday night. I'll say it again right here. What's that mean for Ben Joyce if the radar gun is 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 a tick or two uh, too slow at Lindsey Nelson Stadium because that guy's thrown 103 and he's been clogged 104 at Lindsey Nelson Stadium this season. So uh, that's kind of scary to think about, right? But no, nah, it's good that Chase Burns has that. Man- I mean, that's a veteran mentality, right? I mean, you got to remember, and I think we just assume like every time he steps out now, okay, he's got to be great. Like, no, he's got to go through growing pains. He's he's a true freshman, again, starting on Friday nights in the SEC. And the velo dipping, good to see it getting back to where it was. And, and Beam doesn't throw as hard as the other two guys. I get that. But that's my biggest concern about Drew Beam is, okay, the guy hadn't pitched in two years. He's been the number three starter all season long. Sure, they didn't run him out there for five innings the first couple of starts as they did the other two to begin the season. But, you know, are we going to see that dip in velocity where you're normally sitting around 93, 94, to 88 89 and is that going to be concerning so it hasn't been yet and, and that's a good thing for for drew beam but that's my concern for drew beam it hasn't happened for chase burns yet so you know we'll have to see as the, as the year goes on that's why having four starting pitchers is so crucial and tennessee has four starting pitchers right i i share that same concern with drew beam but knowing that kid he will get it figured out and plus he has the best pitching coach in america working with him and it, it was just one start and even with him struggling a little bit on Sunday, still managed to work into fifth inning, into the fifth inning, uh, really battled. And I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, the other note that I want to point out from Friday's game is Ben Joyce. Uh, you, you brought him up. He pitched well uh, following Chase Burns. Uh, I mentioned that it was good to see Chase Burns work through some adversity, work out of some jams because of some walks. Ben Joyce also had to battle some adversity. He comes in in the seventh inning and <laughs> coming in, he, he gets a fly ball to right field and then he strikes out Derek Fabian for the third out. He, he looked just phenomenal in that seventh inning. I, I wrote down, I, I was tracking that particular inning, his velo on the fastball. He threw seven fastballs in the seventh inning, three of them were 103 on the stadium radar gun. Four of them were 102. So seven fastballs in the seventh inning, all of them 102 or 103. And then he comes back and strikes out Derek Fabian to end the inning on a 85-mile-per-hour slider that had filthy break on it. And I'm just telling you right now, it is impossible to (laughs) have a 102-103 fastball coming at you trying to get your timing down to 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 get around on a 102-103 fastball, and then the pitcher break off the 85-mile-an-hour slider on you that has filthy break. You just can't hit it, and Derek Fabian could not. Uh, so Ben Joyce looked good, and he comes back out for the eighth inning, and he did look fairly good in the eighth inning but did run into a little more trouble there. Uh, he let off the inning with a walk. He comes back with a strikeout of Derek Fabian's brother, Judd Fabian, then he gives up a single. So with runners on the corners, one out, you're starting to wonder, okay, what, what's what's Ben Joyce going to do here? Uh, Tennessee, Josh Elander, Frank Anderson decided to leave him in the game. 
and he got a fly ball to right field and a fly ball to left field. So I know I started with how great the fastball and, and slider looked, Eric. I think the greatest thing for Ben Joyce was him getting out of that jam there in the eighth inning. The game wasn't on the line. It was eight to two, whatever. But I think that is that is big that he was able to work out of a jam there. And uh, maybe we can see him in those situations moving forward because that that's the one thing with Ben Joyce is we haven't really seen him pitch in high leverage situations. Yes, thank you. And again, it's almost like I'm a Ben Joyce hater, and I'm, I'm certainly not. Well, Everybody hates so, the balls. I do, I do. Um, everybody's so mesmerized by Ben Joyce, and you should be because what he's doing is awesome. But I mean, he's coming on in these games where Tennessee's leading by five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten runs. There's no high leverage situations, and, and I'm, I'm so glad you said that. That's been the thing where I'm just like, I want to see him pitch in high leverage situations. The game was already out of touch. I mean, Tennessee had the game in hand, so I understand that. But working out of that jam, staying in, and figuring it out, that, that, that is a good thing. Because what a weapon will it be when Tennessee's got a one- or two-run lead and there's two men on base and there's one out in the eighth inning, you know, come SEC tournament, come, you know, regional or super regional time. And you can put in Ben Joyce, the flamethrower, that's hitting 103 consistently on the gun. And that high-leverage situation, that's what you want. So – Seeing him take these steps and getting into more situations like this, I think is great. I couldn't agree more. I think that's great for Tennessee. So uh, it's awesome. He's your toy right now. You need him to be an asset moving forward, and you need to start putting him in positions. And credit Tennessee, you're not in those positions a lot because you're so freaking good. Uh, but that was really, really good to see. That was my biggest takeaway as well. The game was already, I mean, you you were leading, what, eight to eight to two at the time, but allowing him to work himself out of that was, was awesome to see because you want to rely on him like that later in the season. Right. And I, I think we need to emphasize one thing that, that you added. He, he hasn't pitched in high leverage situations, not because he's not capable, but because he hasn't really had to. The Tennessee is so, so deep. You have Will Mabry, you have Redmond Walsh, you know, you, you have Camden Sewell, who we'll, we'll talk about here in just a moment. You have guys that, that you really trust out of the bullpen. You're about to have a fourth starter uh, coming out of the bullpen as well because only three of the, the four horsemen can start. Uh, so he hasn't had to pitch in high leverage situations. A, because Tennessee has so many guys that it trusts. B, there haven't been a whole lot of high leverage situations for, for anybody on the team because Tennessee has just dominated most every single game this season. And to Tennessee's credit, maybe some people want to uh, th- throw a little bit of shade at, at the coaching staff for, for holding Ben Joyce back. I think they should be commended for holding Ben Joyce back because Ben Joyce is going to make a lot of money playing professionally. And Tennessee is putting his future first ahead of the team's needs. And you've heard Tony Vitello say that, hey, he could pitch three, four, five innings if if we really wanted to unleash him, but we want to be smart with him. I think that you will start to see him used more as Tennessee tries to, to win a national championship here so the pitching looked good on friday eric the pitching looked even better if that was possible on saturday they shut out florida three to nothing the bats didn't do a whole lot you had six hits on the day uh the scoring came on two home runs luke lipsius hit a solo home run in the fifth inning drew gilbert hit a two-run home run in the sixth inning 
Uh, good to see Drew Gilbert starting to flash the power. Hit that home run on Saturday and then hit the triple that I mentioned, the piss missile, on Sunday. That was also nearly a home run. Uh, good to see some of the power coming back for him. But the story on Saturday was Blade Tidwell and Camden Sewell. We'll start with Blade Tidwell. Titty was back, and Titty looked like Titty pitching into the fifth inning. Josh Elander told me after the game uh, the goal for him was 70 to 75 pitches. Uh, he threw 72 pitches, 43 of which were strikes. He did not give up a run. He walked one Florida Gator. He gave up just two hits. He struck out five. The velo on the fastball was as good as it's been all season, was up to 99, and really was flirting with 97, 98 all night long. The slider had great break, had great velo. The changeup looked good. Blade Tidwell picking up his first win of the season, and he did so looking like the guy that many thought was the best pitcher returning in the SEC. And if, if I'm an opponent on, on Tennessee's schedule coming up, I'm thinking, my gosh, you already got Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Drew Beam, and then now you have Blade Tidwell looking like Blade Tidwell and picking up his first win of the season with four weekends to go. It, we continue to say it, but it, it continues to ring true. Just an embarrassment of riches for Tennessee and its pitching staff. And that's why there's going to be penance added to the alpha wall, you know, because of the pitching, because of the luxury of having four guys that are just phenomenal right now. Um, and we've we've talked about it. That's how you win in the postseason. I thought Blake Tidwell was awesome. I, I I thought coming into the game, I thought his number would be somewhere between 65 and 70, which is, again, just right around where he was, 70 to 75, pitching 72. I thought he was awesome getting ground ball outs. thought the strikeout pitch was looking good. Five to one strikeout to walk ratio. Looked like Blake Tidwell was back and feeling good. Worked himself out of some situations. That was huge for him. Goes four and two thirds. Now you continue, you know, next start. If he gets another start, you know, we'll have to see obviously how all this has played out. But, you know, can he go, can he go five and a little change? Can you go six? You know, we'll see as that pitch count continues to get up there. But what a great situation for Tennessee, you know, right now when there's injury concern, but again, when you're, when you're all back at full strength and, and we knew it'd be a piggyback type situation. We knew it would likely be Cannon Sewell coming back in and, and showing what he can do. And he was awesome as well. Four innings and a third, three strikeouts. And, you know, they, those two guys combined for a, for a two hitter, which is just awesome on the road in sec play. I, I thought the pitching was better than it was Friday night for sure. I thought the pitching was just incredible on Saturday and it picked up an offense that did enough. Didn't have to do an awful lot, but did enough to win the ball game. Also, I think Luke Lipschitz is the most underrated player on this team. Sidebar. Oh, so, sounds like something uh, that, that I've been saying all season long. I don't read your work. So that, that was, that was, <laughs> that was original content from, from me. That's all right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I prefer Shumpert's baseball coverage to yours anyways. So, uh, oh, and fair. honestly, I prefer Austin's baseball coverage uh, over yours and Shumpert's uh, as well. Uh, I'm going to reemphasize the stat line that you threw out there for Camden Sewell because Camden Sewell managed to be better than Blake Tidwell, which I did not think was possible. Uh, through 45 pitches, 30 of them were strikes. He did not give up a hit against the Florida Gators. He did not give up a run, one walk three strikeouts, and just an incredible outing for Camden Sewell. He he was dealing with a bone bruise, man. After taking that line drive off the, the heel against Alabama last weekend, he comes back, he piggybacks Blake Tidwell, 
uh, arguably the most impressive pitching performance of of the Tennessee pitchers this weekend was Camden Sewell while dealing with that bone bruise. And he he just hates the Florida Gators. I mean, it, it's pretty evident. Tennessee tweeted out this graphic on Monday afternoon about what Camden Sewell has done against Florida during his career. Four appearances, 1-0, two saves, 0.63 ERA over 14.1 innings, has only given up five hits, one earned run, 11 strikeouts, and two walks. Camden Sewell definitely <laughs> likes pitching against Florida. Most notably, his best performance against Florida was last year in the SEC tournament. Uh, so, you know what? I'm, I'm going to hype myself up because beginning of the season, everybody wanted to, to bench Luke Lipsius because he can't hit lefties and his average against lefties isn't actually as bad as it seems this year. He's a great defender. I've, I've been calling him the most underrated player on the team and one of the most underrated players in the SEC the last couple of weeks. And you know who else told everybody to, to don't worry about Camden Sewell. He's going to be fine. You know who has been the president of the Camden Sewell fan club since Camden was like a sophomore? That would be the one and only Ben McKee. So I'm going to toot my horn a little bit. Toot, toot, Eric King. Toot, toot. You want a cookie? I mean, what, what, what do we do here as we, as we continue to brag on ourselves? <laughs> I am too busy being the president of the Josiah Jordan James fan club, and I know you're a member of that as well, to, to, to be on anything with baseball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, also, that graphic refers to Camden Sewell as the Gator Killer. Um, I don't know if we should go that far. I mean, obviously, he's done great work, but I think there might be some former football player, one in particular, <laughs> that might take exception to that. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to Jabari, Jabari Davis. Uh, but knowing Jabari and, and how he loves the Vols, he will appreciate uh, <laughs> he will appreciate that reference. I'm laughing because I'm looking at the comments. Shout out to Beach Galloway. <laughs> he had a great re- re- response. It's, it's a Steve Irwin uh, creeping up on a crocodile, <laughs> and he says that Cam Sewell is the modern day Steve Irwin. <laughs> So uh, shout out to Beach Galloway for that response. That That is a great one. But Camden Sewell, just terrific work. And Eric, he could be a starter for this team. If if Tennessee wasn't as dominant as it is, and say, say they ran into some bad luck, Chase Burns gets drafted uh, or elects to be drafted, Chase Dolander decides to go to Arkansas instead of Tennessee, Camden Sewell would be a starter on this team, and he'd be a good one. He'd be a starter for for most SEC teams. He was one that I thought before they got, they got lucky with Chase Burns, before they added Chase Dolander, before I even knew about Drew Beam, when all you knew was that Blake Tidwell was coming back. I thought Camden Sewell last summer for sure would be in the starting rotation this year. Yeah, and again, what a luxury to have. But he's also an option there too, piggyback option. If he had to come in, you know, say – Say Tennessee doesn't have four starting pitchers ready to roll for SEC tournament. He would start that other game, right? You know, pitch pitch three and two thirds, pitch four innings, and piggyback it. You know, on the other or Sanders Seacrest. Okay, I don't want to. I guess I shouldn't diminish him, but just another option. Again, championships are built on arms, and Tennessee's got so much versatility. They've got so many good arms. And I mean, again, we're talking about we're talking about Cam Sewell right now. But to go back to Ben Joyce, I mean, the fact that he's not even had to pitch in high leverage situations this year, which is kind of at this point in the season. You need him to, uh, which is why Friday night was so good. But the fact that he hadn't even had to pitch in those type of situations much this year, 
it's just a credit to how good your arms already are. Uh, so, I mean, what, what can you say? Yeah. Again, you, you build championship teams on the arms. I think Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson are, have obviously done that. Because, I mean, last year the team was great. Don't get me wrong. You and I kept talking about and previewing this team uh, on this podcast coming into the season, and there were some question marks, right? You lost so much in that lineup. You returned three guys that you felt really, really good about. You lost so much pop in that lineup. And you lost some pitchers that you felt great about. But, I mean, Tennessee's pitchers are just, by large, and with respect, are so much better than what they had last year, right? And that's saying something because – Again, this was a good, good baseball team last year. Three more things to hit on uh, conversation-wise but before we get out of here. Uh, we, we've gone game by game here and, and given our thoughts, some, some big picture thoughts uh, on, on the way out the door. We'll, we'll, we'll conclude the, the pitching conversation first, and that is obviously the, the big question that everybody's asking right now is like, hey, what, what do you do? You, you have – Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Blake Tidwell, Drew Beam, four guys that would start on Friday night for most any team in the country. For just about any team in the country, all four of those guys would be Friday night starters. And there's only three spots, only three weekend spots. So welcome back, Tony Vitello, from your four-game suspension. Uh, You get to tell one of these guys they're not going to be starting. And I think that he's going to have to deal with this as as soon as this weekend against Auburn, a good Auburn baseball team that is playing on fire right now, they can really hit the baseball. They don't have as great of a, a bullpen, which gets them in trouble. We'll preview that matchup later in the week, but they can really, really hit and have the best uh, hitter in the country, statistically speaking, in their lineup this season. Sonny Dykera, uh, go watch some of his highlights and some of the baseballs that he has hit this year. It, it's It's pretty crazy, but... I, I I think Chase Dolander, at least here on a Monday, I think he's could possibly pitch this weekend. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that he'll be available, but it's not ruled out. It is more so what I'm getting at. I, I could reasonably see him pitching this weekend. Don't know if it'd be in a, a starting capacity, but I, I do think he'll be eligible to pitch potentially. Uh, if if you haven't already listened, when you get done listening to this. Go over to VolQuest.com, find my extra innings that I did with Chase Dolander. Did this on Saturday uh, in the, the Tennessee dugout while Tennessee was taking BP. Uh, prior to game two against Florida, Chase and I sat down and had a 10-minute conversation, uh, discussed his transition from Georgia Southern to Tennessee, got to know him a little bit better off the field, uh, and, and also discussed, hey, what was going through your head? when you got struck by that line drive and uh, asked him how he was doing and uh, a, l- a little sneak peek, I guess he, he did say that he was feeling good. Just, just dealing with some swellness and, and soaring, uh, swell, swarning. I'm making up words here, just like Chase did on, on the podcast, um, but dealing with soreness and swelling and you all won't be able to, to tell when you're listening, but while he was telling me that he was pointing to his elbow and you could still see where <laughs> he got smoked by that line drive. He, he had a nice whelp uh, on it, but uh, he did say it was going down. So welcome back, Tony Vitello. You, you get to tell one of the chases you, you get to tell drew beam or, or you get to tell Titty who, who might turn around and just go slash your tires uh, that, that, that you're not going to be pitching uh, one of the games, at least starting the game. I piggyback him. If he can pitch this weekend, I'd piggyback those two. Why not, right? I mean, 
Sure. Like, I, again, I, I don't know. I'm not a pitching coach. Obviously, you missed one start. I don't know what he's been doing throwing-wise while he's been off. I would imagine he was shut down for at least a week, right? I mean, he was taking it easy for at least a week. But nonetheless, I'd piggyback him. If he can pitch this weekend, I'd throw him both on Saturday. That that would be your set. Just like you did this past weekend with Sewell, that'd be what you do on Saturday. But again, I'm not a coach. But yeah, that's, um, that is a tough decision to make because – you're going to need them in the SEC tournament. You're going to need them in supers, or you're going to need them in the regionals, and in Omaha if you make it, which you should. But like in a, in a three game set, it's just kind of there's an odd man out. A good position to be in, but it sucks for that, that odd man for sure. I I have no idea how you make this decision. I yeah. I, I really don't. I'm I'm sure obviously Frank Anderson will have a better feel for a reasoning behind a decision. He's probably made a decision similar to this before in the past. Uh, yes. With the amount of pitchers that, that he has recruited, I'm sure that he, as long has. as he's been doing it. Yes. Um, but from the outside looking in, I don't, I don't see a, a clear cut answer. I, I think you could make the case for just about any pitcher to be pulled from the rotation. Feet, feet the fire right now. If you were choosing everybody healthy, what would you do? Feet the fire. Drew Beam's coming out. My feet the fire is you you pitch play Tibble out of the pen. I think Dolander's not going to the pen for sure. I think we can both agree on that. Chase Burns is not going anywhere. I think we can both agree on that. It see, would be either I, Beam or, or Tidwell, yeah. See, I think it would be Burns or Beam. I think it'd be one of the true freshmen that that have looked like a freshman recently. Yeah. And yeah. And for those listening, please, please, please remember that we are splitting hairs. We do not dislike any of the four. It's just a really tough decision that we're glad that we don't have to make. But my my <laughs> thinking behind um, behind this and pulling beam. Sorry, I was reading a text message that. Uh, distracted me a poor podcasting habit by by me there Uh, but uh, the reason I say beam is and and this is unfair of me I I recognize this and and I love Drew Beam I love the kid I I, I have loved seeing the the family uh, part of side of things for for he and his family this season just seeing his mom and his sister show up for every single game this year has been really cool Uh, I have a buddy that coaches high school baseball in Huntsville that has known the Beam family all his life. And, and he said nothing but good things uh, for or to me about them. So I, I would not want to pull Drew Beam just because I like the kid. I, I mean, I may, I, I don't know which I like the most. I, I like all four of them. All, all four are really fun to deal with. Uh, you, you'll hear that from Chase. Uh, if you've heard any other Chase Burns interviews, you, you've heard that as well. But my thinking with Beam is that what you said earlier, Kane, is that he hasn't pitched – in he did not pitch his junior season or his senior season of high school and one would think that at some point there would need to be some type of load management I I guess you could say and the other thing is when when is the other shoe going to drop because you would think that he would run into a freshman wall now he's been so impressive that it has not mattered yet and maybe it won't end up mattering uh if he and maybe I am a little persuaded by what I saw on Sunday. He, he looked like a freshman for the first time. And, and had he not done that, then my answer probably would not be Drew B. But I, I guess ultimately 
and what is unfair of me is that I am expecting for a freshman moment to happen and I'm preparing for that freshman moment. And maybe I shouldn't be doing that. No, it's fair though, because if Burns would have struggled on Friday, my answer would have been Burns probably, but he's still, in my opinion, has the highest ceiling of any of the four. And I mean, that's why you're Friday night starter as a true freshman. So Again, it's splitting hairs. It's just, you know, Dolander, if healthy, he's not going to the pit. He's too slow to the plate. And, you know, he's, he's was leading the SEC in strikeouts and he's a starter. You can play around with the other couple. I would prefer to have Burns staying in there in, in the rotation. And again, before Sunday, we'd be crazy to even mention Beam. But you're right. I'm a true freshman. Will he hit a wall? How does he bounce back from this rough start, his first rough start of the season? So, again, that's a luxury of having four guys. And so you hope that, uh, that, that's a, uh, that you hope that that is the issue Tony V runs into this weekend because that means that Bill Ender's back and everybody's healthy and ready to roll. And and, and here's my thinking, Eric. Uh, for, forget making a decision. Yes, a decision will have to be made. And as you and I have said on this podcast, it, it's funny how sports always works its way out. Oh yeah, works mm-hmm. itself out. So I'm I'm sure that will happen, and we don't know how yet. Um, but. My thinking is that it does not matter what the decision is and that the the game plan should be to build up towards Hoover, to build up towards postseason play in general. I wrote about this in the 321 on Monday that the objective should be to have Chase Burns looking like first half of the season Chase Burns, Blake Tidwell back fully recovered from his injury. 100% unleashed, ready to go for the postseason. Make sure Chase Dolander is 100% healthy for the postseason after his scare with the line drive. And whatever it was that was bothering Drew Beam on Sunday, get that ironed out and have him ready to go for the postseason in in Hoover and, and beyond. So there, there's only four weekends left. And it it's a lot of baseball. That's 12 games. But to me, it's also kind of not a lot of baseball, Eric. Uh, So, like, yeah, it's going to be a tough decision these next four weekends. But the bigger objective should be to just have all four ready to go by by the postseason, even if that requires pitching one of those guys. If Drew Beam is the guy that that doesn't get the nod or if it's Blake Tidwell, let them go five, six, seven innings in the midweek game treat it like that just have all four ready to go because the postseason is going to be far different than the regular season schedule we we've illustrated it a ton but in hoover you need four starters opening weekend of the tournament the the regional you have to have four starters super regional is more normal schedule because it's best two out of three but then you get back to omaha and and you're going to need four starters so who cares what decision you make now just have all four built up, playing their best baseball, pitching their best as you go into postseason play. Sucks for Xander Seacrest, but I couldn't agree more. You have the odd man outs coming out of the bullpen on the weekends, and you have them pitching 65 pitches on that midweek game starting out. I mean, that's kind of how it is. And, again, you are building towards postseason, and which is what you've been doing all season long. It's just, gosh, what what an embarrassment of riches, right? But what a position to be in. Right. And here's the other thing is that even if you bring one out of the bullpen, somebody's innings are, are going to dwindle down because 
a starter is obviously going to be an odd man out, but then that that's going to mean that he's taking innings away from someone else elsewhere, whether that is a, a Xander Seacrest during a midweek game or, or if they decide not to, to do the, the midweek idea that I just threw out, if they decide to, to bring a beam or a Tidwell out of the bullpen, then you're cutting back on innings that, that are being given out in the bullpen from a mixture of, of Mabry and, and Joyce and so on and so forth. They'll, they'll end up taking innings away from the bullpen. It's just a, it's a fascinating conversation that, that has no clear cut answer. And I'm glad that I don't have to make this decision. I mean, it's really as simple as that. And I, I would summarize it as at least on April 25th, maybe we look back on hindsight and feel differently, but I don't think Tony Vitello can make a wrong decision. No, I don't think so either. Again, it's it's splitting hairs. And if you pick one guy that struggles, you have that other guy to come in that can piggyback potentially. So I, I, I would agree. I don't think that you can make a wrong decision because all those guys that pitch lights out when given the opportunity this year. Yeah. The other thing that I want to talk about uh, before we get out of here, two, two more quicker things in the whole pitching conversation. And, and we can revisit the, the pitching uh, when we preview Auburn later this week when we know the status of, of Dolander a little bit better. We need to emphasize Josh Elander and the absolute superstar that he is. He's going to be a head coach next season somewhere else. I would be stunned if he was not. And I, I kept saying all weekend long, no Tony Vitello, no problem. I said that all week long as Tony was serving his four-game suspension. And that's a credit to Tony himself that it can be no Tony Vitello, no problem. It's a testament to the culture that he, Frank Anderson, and Josh Elander have established that the head coach, somebody who is viewed as one of the best head college baseball coaches in the entire country, he can – be suspended for four games and all Tennessee did. And really it was five games. When you include the ejection in the first inning of that Saturday game, they, they went on to win the series with Alabama. They took care of business in the midweek game. And then they ended up sweeping Florida without Tony Vitello, without one of the best college baseball coaches in America. That's a testament to the culture, the, the, the player leadership on the team, and also, Josh Elander is a star, man. He really is. He, he doesn't have as emphatic of a personality as a Frank Anderson or Tony Vitello. He doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve as much. I Funny enough, walking off the field yesterday, I heard a player, I can't remember which one, but they were walking by and they, they looked at Josh Elander and said, man, I've never seen you celebrate after a, a home run like that, like the way that you did. I, I assume it was after the Christian Moore home run that they were referencing. Um, but he is a superstar in the making, Eric, and I hope people saw that this past week. Yeah, Tony Vitello said it on the pregame hits uh, throughout the weekend with John Wilkerson, and he said it, you know, in the, I believe postgame on Sunday as well, that, I mean, the, the, the good thing that came from Tony Vitello being suspended this week was that the fan base got to know Josh Elander and got to know that that is a guy that will be a head coach, you know, very, very soon. It's a guy that's very important to the program. Uh, you know, we talked about this podcast, former catcher, a uh, good, good recruiter, you know, good defensive coach. And you know, he's the guy that I don't expect to be here in Knoxville too long. And, and again, that's a credit for Tony Vitello. You always surround yourself with people who, you know, Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes has said this consistently. You always want to surround yourself 
with the people who you think can, can out coach you, who will be head coaches, who you want to be head coaches. And so there's a lot of turnover. And I, you know, I expect that that's look at Alabama. There's a lot of turnover on that football roster because so many guys are given opportunities. And again, it all falls back to Tony Battelle and the culture and the way he's built this program. And uh, the good thing that came out of this was everybody got to know a little bit about Josh Elander, who I, I echo. I think he did a fantastic job. Now, Again, um, you know, Brent Hubs did a nice job with his column on VolQuest.com on Sunday nights. It's not like Tony Vitello was locked away somewhere all week long. He was very much a part of the game planning, very much a part of the team at practice and everything else. He just wasn't in the dugout, you know, when the lights came on. And so uh, a lot of credit goes to Tony V still. But of course, somebody had to run it during the games and Elander did a fantastic job. Yeah, jo- Josh Elander, big fan of him. Not that my word carries weight in the college baseball world but some some team is going to be very 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 lucky to have josh elander uh, as their head skipper next year he he's an elite recruiter uh he, he's a even better person that that's his best trait just a, a phenomenal person easygoing uh he, he is a terrific developer has really helped evan russell uh be become you know He's not Yadier Molina back there, as I've continued to say all year, but he's not a liability. And he he doesn't look like he he just moved from left field to catcher. <laughs> so Josh he's better than Evan Gaddis. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, but Josh Elander gets a lot of credit for that. Uh, Tony Vitello credited Josh Elander for Christian Moore and where Christian Moore is at the plate right now. Said so that Simo is just completely different at the plate in terms of batting stance and approach than he was when he got to campus. And he said it's because Josh Elander has been working with him. Josh Elander is a hitting coach. So he obviously gets a lot of credit there. Just reminded myself about the time Atlanta was playing in the NLDS. I forgot who they were playing. It was 2013 or 14 and they had Evan Gaddis out there in left field. Oh my God. How awful was that? The DH is finally here. I know I'm a big National League guy, but I'm so for the DH, but Again, Josh Elander, job well done. I thought he did a, a, an awesome, awesome job. And again, he he talks like a manager too. I mean, I, I've heard these hits post game all weekend long. The last the last two weekends, really, he talks like a manager. He talks like a head coach, and so it's not going to be long before he's gone. Yes, I, I can't say enough good things uh, about Josh Elander. We we do have one more quick topic, uh, but we did not mention yet that catch from Christian Scott to end the game on Sunday. Incredible, Sports Center. Top 10 play, number four, just an incredible play, incredible catch. And, like, I know it was him robbing a home run, and, and those are always hard catches to make. But that was an even harder home run to rob because of where he had to catch it with how the Florida outfield is shaped. That that little – how would you describe that? A little cut in there? Yeah. It just I, – I don't know. People know what I'm saying. It was a funky outfield in, in that particular spot where it cut in. Um, he made a terrific catch. It was awesome. And the momentum made him just smack that wall. Right. And then he was so excited. He gets over there and, you know, is, is bumping chest with Gilbert and rolls and everything. I mean, that was awesome. I mean, yeah, there was nobody on base and everything, but what a way, I mean, that doesn't take away from the catch whatsoever. Right. I mean, that was just, that was awesome. So it was a, a pair of Christians saved the day one more so than the other, but both Christian Moore and Christian Scott. Just fan freaking tastic. That, that that catch was awesome. So, uh, an awesome way to end a fun cumber behind win for Tennessee to, to to cap that series sweep. Eric, you ready for this? Let's hear it. I don't think you're ready for this. 
I'm ready you for know this. What, you know what Sundays are for? The boys? Christians. Oh! <laughs> I should have. Uh, I should have. <laughs> I should have seen that coming on. Oh, now, that's a Josh Ward dad joke if I've ever heard one. I know you do weekly hits on that show now. I don't know if it's rubbed off on you, but that was that was very much dad of you. So you're preparing yourself. So good job. Yeah, t- tomorrow's the 26th, three months away from from baby boy, baby Ben popping out. So getting the dad jokes in now, uh, working on them while I can. But what's, thanks what's, to- what, we're quick, what's the name going to be? Tell, tell us all here on the Don Balls podcast. Let us know right now. Uh, we have not come up with a name yet, sir. Well, I was, I was trying to get it out of you. I wanted us to hear first, so whatever. Well, when I come up with a name, everybody will be the first to know. So everybody will be the first to know. Okay. <laughs> last last thing before we get out of here. Uh, thanks to the Christians on Sunday. Yeah. Tennessee has the SEC locked up. I mean, let, let's just go ahead, ship the the trophy to Knoxville. Go ahead, hang the banner. SEC East champs, SEC regular season champs. And look, I know I know those don't matter in the grand scheme of things. It would be much better to win the SEC tournament in Hoover. It, well, I, I think it'd actually be better to win the SEC regular season title than win the SEC tournament because it's you you can just get hot in the SEC tournament. Winning the SEC regular season title, I, I think it's more impressive because you did it over the course of two and a half, three months. Uh it's not technically over uh tennessee 17 and one but arkansas you're looking at it right now they're what 11 and six arkansas is 12 and six 12 and six so what it would take is for tennessee to go 500 six and six over the last 12 conference games and arkansas winning out and i'm telling you right now tennessee's not going six and six it's yeah it's over First SEC East Championship since 97 last year, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Some, yeah, since, something since, like that. And the yeah, East, I mean, it's going to be even harder. Like Tennessee already has the SEC regular season title in the bag because they're just not going six and six over the last 12 games. And Arkansas has to win out on top of them going six and six, not happening. Yeah. Uh, so the, the regular season title already in the bag. The East is even harder. What's Georgia's SEC record? 11 and seven. Right. So. They're they're even a game further back than Arkansas, and there there is a big three game series between Tennessee and Georgia coming up in three weeks. But Georgia's not going to be able to catch up to Tennessee. So go ahead, put the regular season title on the wall in the outfield, and go ahead and and put the crown for a second consecutive SEC East Division title on the wall as well. And because Vanderbilt is down, Florida is down. Ole Miss is down. Gosh, Ole Miss is down now to six and twelve in conference play. That should not take away anything for what Tennessee's done this year. But both could be true. The SEC overall could be down a little bit this year, and Tennessee could still easily be the best team in the country. And uh, again, it's not even close. I think both could be true here. I've heard that argument a little bit. Well, the SEC's down a little bit this year. Okay, I hear you. Tennessee's still freaking good. That doesn't take away from Tennessee, right? Um, still impressive though. And, uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, Tennessee's got this sucker locked up for sure. And no one wants to hear that right now. I, I understand it, but there's still baseball left to be played, but it is what it is, man. Six game lead in the East five game lead overall over Arkansas. Another good weekend for the Vols, by the way, how'd you do in fantasy baseball last week? Yeah. You notice I didn't, I didn't text you back when you sent that picture. 
Uh, my lineup, my lineup had a lot of guys that decided not to swing the bat well this week. So got good pitching, got real good pitching, but I uh, came up a little short, a little short this week. It's fine. It's like week one of what twenty two. So I'm like, I'm, I'm be all right. <laughs> yeah, but who'd you lose to? I don't know. Some loser, some Yankees fan. It's funny. He who shall not be named. You know, I'm glad that you came up just a little bit short because at least you're used to coming up a little bit short in all facets of your life. Wow, you're trying to make this personal. (laughs) That's rude. Uh, Also, Uh, who 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 had the better regular season record last year? I think that would be me in fantasy baseball last year. Week one victories. Ben McKee's here for it. Would you rather be one and zero or zero and one? I'd rather be in position to win more games down the line, which I am because my starting pitching is great. So, we'll but be I'm right. technically in better position to win more games down the line because I already have one more win than you. I'll let you have this week one victory. <laughs> uh, he is Eric Kane. I am Ben McKee. Tennessee is back in action on Tuesday night against Xavier, a top 25 Auburn team. Will be coming into Lindsey Nelson Stadium this weekend. It'll be another fun weekend of baseball. And and please, 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 uh, I am going to toot my own horn here. A lot of really unique content up at VolQuest.com right now. Uh, Content that you will not find anywhere else. One-on-one with Josh Elander from Saturday night after the game. Uh, One-on-one with Blade Tidwell before Sunday's game. Or just discussing his first SEC start of the season. Uh, the the one-on-one with Chase Dolander, one-on-one with Tony Vitello. You can all find it at VolQuest.com on top of the usual work that we are turning out there. So uh, be sure to check all of that out. Eric, have a good week, my friend. You too, buddy. Job well done on the coverage. You're, uh, you're a superstar, man. Don't ever let anybody tell you any different. Just trying to be like Austin Price. And for the rest of everybody else, we hope you all have a great week.